I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And the vision of Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And I have a guest today who fits that vision for us. Her story is filled with help and hope, but it is also filled with really uh, painful places. Uh, By the time she was 13 years old, she had had 21 surgeries. She had to spend a lot of her childhood in hospitals, and I'm talking really long stays, extended stays, where today, you know, moms and dads are going to be there every day. She did not have that when she was a child. She has experienced multiple miscarriages, the death of a child, an unwanted divorce, betrayal, and she has had unrelenting pain that has sapped her. And now she has medical issues that really have um, made her world smaller than what it was before. And so you might hear all of that and think, oh my gosh, that's way too much. How does anybody survive all of that, let alone thrive? And I'm here to tell you that when you hear Benita Rendell Reisner's story, you're going to be blown away by what God has done in her life. And you are going to have hope for your own journey. Uh, Whether you are suffering right now or you know that you may suffer in the future, you're going to remember beneath the story and you are going to remember God's faithfulness and because he was faithful to her that you can trust him to be faithful to you. So Benitha, I want to welcome you and thank you so much that you're willing to share your story with us. Well, before we jump into the beginning of your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself right now? Um, well, right now I, um, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I work from home and I'm a writer. I write for Desiring God mostly and write a blog and I'm in the midst of finishing up a book. So I live with here with my husband, Joel, and we have a miniature poodle and I have two daughters. One is a senior in college and is kind of struggling with her senior year, given all that's happening in our nation. And my older daughter lives here in Raleigh um, and is working. Well, Vanitha, you have written a book called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How uh, God Meets Us in Suffering. And I like to, when somebody writes a book like that, I want to know from where they are writing. Are they a credible witness? You could be writing the truth, but it definitely is easier to hear and sometimes means more when you know the person has lived it, has gone through broken places and really has had those scars. So you have, you are a credible witness of God's faithfulness. So let's start with when you were a child and the diagnosis that you received and how that really shaped a lot of the way that you would live life. Well, I was born in India to Christian parents. And when I was three months old, I got polio and polio had been virtually eradicated. Nobody knew anybody with polio when I got it because the vaccine had been developed over 10 years earlier. And so I had a really high fever, 105 for an infant at three months. And so we went to the doctor and um, they gave me cortisone to lower my body's temperature and thought I had typhoid. But um, very quickly, I was completely paralyzed. And the doctors realized that I had polio and not typhoid, but there was nothing they could do. And they told my parents that we needed to leave India immediately because there was no medical care that was really available. And India, because Hinduism is so predominant there, they really have no heart for the disabled. There is this idea, if you're disabled, it's your fault. You've done something wrong in a past life. And so knowing that, they told my parents that they probably needed to leave. 
We left India and moved to England, which is where I first started having surgeries. So you had um, third, let me see, 21 surgeries by the mm-hmm. time you were 13 years old. Yes. And did those surgeries, I know they didn't heal you completely, but did they help with the deformities that sometimes happens with polio? I mean, were you able to walk normally or what, what was that like? Because you said that you were bullied verbally and physically by your classmates. Yes. Well, when I first got polio, I was pretty much a quadriplegic and they weren't sure if that's what I was going to be the rest of my life. But they learned that um, within a year, I got some movement back in some of my limbs. And then the 21 operations were all muscle transplants. So they gave me the ability eventually to walk. So I walked, but I had a very distinctive limp that I still have kind of swaying from side to side. It's not like a subtle little limp. But besides that, I looked pretty normal. My arms were weaker, but it wasn't very evident to people. So I looked normal after all of those surgeries, but I did have the limp. And that was something that kids would really make fun of me from. And When I lived in the hospital, I felt like everybody else, even though that was really hard. But when I was home, I was bullied. One time, a bunch of kids threw stones at me and called me a cripple and pushed me down. Kids in my classes would make fun of me. Not everybody, but there were enough people that I just felt like an outcast. And I was mad at God and mad at my family and mad at everybody that my life was so different than theirs. And you were little. I mean, you were young for you thinking about God. And why, why did he do this to you? Right. Were those some of the questions? Were you, were you in a church setting? Did you hear the gospel? Was your family a faith-based family so that you had that, your questions to contrast with what they were teaching and believing? Yes. So my parents are um, Christians. My mom's family actually was, um, they were people of faith in India and my grandmother knew Amy Carmichael. So we had you know, a really strong faith tradition. And my mom would always say, you need to trust God. And I learned Bible stories. And for me, I did the right stuff. I went to church with them. But inside, I thought, this is crazy. Your life is so easy. I don't believe this. If God were good and powerful, then this would never have happened. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't share with them my doubts more because I was a pleaser and I didn't want to enter into a discussion about faith, but I didn't have any. And so the, you know, from a young age, my mom would read the Bible to me. And I remember just having this other part of me saying, this isn't true. This doesn't mean anything. Or when I was really young, I'm guessing I probably thought it was true. But as my life started to unravel with people making fun of me, I stopped thinking that it was. But you didn't talk about it. No, I did not tell my parents anything that happened. I didn't tell them I was bullied. I didn't tell them what I thought about God because I didn't want to disappoint them. And so I thought if I just act like everything's okay, then they'll think it is. And it felt embarrassing, which sounds sad. And I know that my mom would, it would break her heart that it was embarrassing for me to talk about those things, but it was. And I felt that they thought I had a good life and a good childhood. So I wanted them to keep thinking that. So Vanitha, something happened when you were in high school that's that really kind of changed your direction faith-wise. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I got involved in FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I didn't go because I was an athlete or a Christian, but all the cute guys in my high school went. 
So a friend of mine and I would sit in the back and we would talk about guys. We didn't take the God stuff seriously at all. But then one day she went away on a retreat and she came back and she said to me, God is real. I still remember that moment. I thought, oh no, she's not going to want to talk about guys anymore. She's going to want to talk about God. And I was totally right. That's all she wanted to talk about was God. And then, so one night I came home from an FCA meeting and I just lay in bed and I said, okay, God, if you're real, show me. And then I went to sleep and I didn't feel any different, but I got up in the morning and i had had a Bible from when I was confirmed at our church that I had never opened. And I picked up the Bible and I kind of flipped through it and I thought, okay, God, show me, are you real? And I remember asking God, why, why did all this happen anyway? So I flipped open the Bible to Leviticus and I remember reading, thinking, this makes no sense. This is what I thought about the Bible and what I thought about faith. And then I just asked God one more time, why? And I flipped open the Bible again, which I wouldn't recommend anyone listening that you just flip open the Bible, but God can use that. And I flipped open to John 9 when the passage where, um, the disciples and Jesus pass a man who was blind from birth and the disciples asked Jesus who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God could be displayed in his life. And I was blown away. It was, it was like God was answering me. Even this arrogant question that I had asked, God was answering me and I was stunned. So I knelt down by the side of my bed, the sun was streaming in the window, and I committed my life to Christ. And then did that change everything for you, or was it more of a a slow journey that you made this commitment to Christ, but did you still have questions about God and the things that happened in your life, or did you have a whole new perspective? I had a whole new perspective. I was kind of amazed. I got involved in FCA in a serious way, started teaching a Bible study, and really was excited about God. It just felt like my life had a purpose. But I did have sort of this theology that I had I had paid my dues. I had had the one big suffering and expected that my life would go really, really well because I loved God and God loved me, and that was the way it was supposed to be. And honestly, the next 10 years of my life went incredibly well. Everything I wanted, I got. And I thought, this is what faith is. You believe God, you trust him, and he gives you what you want. And it was working out really well. And then what happened? And then I married a guy I met in grad school, and that was great. And we got pregnant, and I had a miscarriage. And that first miscarriage was the sign that maybe everything wasn't going to be perfect. And that miscarriage was really hard for me. It really shook me. And then I got pregnant, had a little girl, Katie, and then had two more miscarriages. And I started to get really nervous. And then got pregnant with a little boy named Paul. But when I was 20 weeks pregnant, actually, and and found out that I was going to have a boy, I also found out that our son had a hypoplastic left heart, which meant that he only had half of a heart. And if we didn't do something at birth, he would die within two weeks. So that was not in any way the life that I thought I deserved. And We prayed though, and he had surgery in Michigan with one of the best doctors in the world. 
surgery went well. And so I was thinking, okay, God, this is a little detour, but maybe we're going to get back on the path where I get everything I want. And the doctors were amazed at how well he was doing. So amazed that his substitute doctor, when we took him in for a checkup, took him off all his medicine impulsively. And we didn't know what that meant, but two days later, basically our son died. And I was shocked. I was stunned that God would let this happen to me because I had been faithful. I had prayed. I had done everything right. And at the funeral, we had gotten close to God, or I felt really close to God. We talked about the fact that God never makes a mistake. And a week later, I wanted to pull every one of those words back because I thought God had made a huge mistake and I couldn't trust him. And I didn't really want to even be close to him. So for months, I was drifting from God until one day I got in the car. I was driving aimlessly, just feeling so alone. And then I just said to God, God, I need you. I I need you to draw near to me. And I remember putting in, it was a cassette tape, pushed it into my car and listened to this praise music. And as it came over the speakers, I felt that God was in my car with me. I felt his presence filling me. And I even turned off the the music and just felt that God was with me and felt this joy that I cannot describe. To this day, it was the most incredible moment of my life. Just realizing God is here. God cares. God has got my son with him and God is going to take care of me. And that is this moment that I go back to, even now, just remembering that God's presence can be better than anything in your life. And so I remember going home, getting my Bible and realizing, okay, I want this God and I want this relationship that I had really kind of discarded for a long time. I can kind of relate to some of what you're saying because our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend Kelly were in a fatal car accident. And... I was a Bible study teacher for 25 years, and I I would never have said, I think that God kind of owes me a good life because I'm serving him and all that. I would have said that's false theology. But when you experience such a blow and such a loss, it puts everything you believe on the line. And Mm -hmm. the night of Mark's death, I knew that I was not going to be in that cocoon of grace that he had something different for me and it really it was the gift of wrestling mm-hmm. i didn't think it was a nice present back then but i see now how he drew me closer to him because of the wrestling and and also because he says that every gift he gives to us it's for the purpose of offering back to the church back to his people and it was amazing to me that that was 25 years ago when I would transparently share my story. And you probably had the same thing where there were so many who would say, I thought I was less than because yes. I felt like God had betrayed me. Like, like I'm battling with the Lord and I felt like I must not be good enough. He must not love me because I'm being so bad. And to know that we can lament, that we can go to him, that he welcomes our questions, all of it um, is a pretty, that's a pretty powerful story of he didn't reject you when you called out to him in your desperation. He, he welcomed you. And I, I love that. You said that you had a, a period where it was good. You lost your son. Seems like that's enough uh, for any person to go through. But that wasn't the end of the story for you, was it? No, it wasn't. So six years after Paul died, I got this really incredible pain in my right arm. And I didn't know what it was. 
I went to doctor after doctor and nobody knew they couldn't figure it out. They wanted to do exploratory surgery. And I thought, oh, if you don't know what it is, I don't know if I want you cutting into my arm. And then somebody suggested it might be related to polio. And I remember thinking it can't be related to polio. I had polio decades ago. It's not part of my life. But I went to this polio clinic and they diagnosed me with post-polio syndrome. And I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of it or I'd heard of it, but didn't really know what it meant. And um, what it means is essentially your body starts going backward. When you first get polio, you suffer like I was a quadriplegic and then your body starts recovering. But they found out this recovery is not something that's permanent. And they likened it to your motor neurons die when you get polio, but they sprout up secondary motor neurons. And so you can do things that you couldn't do when you first got sick, but these secondary neurons limited life. And so they come with, let's say, like a thousand watts of energy and everything you do takes away from that. So eventually you can completely deplete it and you can go back to the way you were when you first got polio. And I was a quadriplegic. So the doctor said, you have to stop everything that you're doing. I was a scrapbooker. I love to do creative things. And they said, you need to just take care of the essentials. And I was 38 years old then. I had two daughters, young kids, four and eight. And it was pretty devastating for me. It, it changed my identity too, because I love to cook. I love to scrapbook. I love to do all those things. And those were not going to be what I did anymore. I used to serve people, help in the church, and I couldn't do that. I needed to be helped. And so that was a radical shift for me in what I love to do and who I was and what my value was. So that was a, a process that God had to bring me through of giving up independence and embracing dependence. That is such a profound um, change in just an instant for you. No processing, no time to think about it. You had to make choice a choice right then. And then I, I assume, I, I, I suspect that you have to make choices every single day now. Yes. What you can do and is it worth the, is it worth the price that you're going to have to pay? Yes, so, which yeah. is why I love being on the podcast because for me to travel and speak is really hard. Yeah. But for me to talk to you here is Really easy. So I love that. I hope the word gets out that you're ready. You're ready to share your story even more widely than you already have, because I know that you have shared it widely. So you have this diagnosis, and but that wasn't the end of the losses that you were going to experience. No, it wasn't. And so six years after that, my husband came home and told me he was leaving for someone else. And we'd been married 18 years and I couldn't believe it. It just seemed that that was, was impossible. We had been through so much together and we'd had a good marriage and I didn't know what to do with that. But he moved out of state actually really soon after that. So I was left as a single parent raising two adolescent angry daughters. And I thought I was going to fall apart. I was once again angry at God, just couldn't believe that this was happening as well. And yet God met me in ways that I, I can't explain, can't even describe. And he was just so good. God was better than I would have imagined in that I didn't have an earthly husband, but I had a heavenly one. And God provided for my needs, even when I didn't know things that I didn't even know I needed. And he 
showed me that trusting God was better in suffering than it was without suffering because I needed God in ways that I didn't need him otherwise. When I was married and had kids that were happy and life was going well, I didn't depend on God the same way. And in this season of my life, I depended on God for everything and found out that I didn't lack anything that I needed. Wow. Uh, I, I know that there is somebody listening who is thinking, I wish God would do that for me. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that he would touch me the way that he has touched Vanitha. And, and they could also get the impression that it's kind of easy where you are now, that, that uh, in the aftermath of a, an unwanted divorce and you're on your own and all those things, well, God was with you. So it was kind of easy for you. Can, can you respond to that? Help the person who is listening, who is saying, it's great for you, but I have no idea how to get there. I wish I could. And it sounds like once God touched you, you were fine. Yeah. It was a struggle every day. I would say there are days I would get up and think, I can't make it through this day. I can't do it. My kids both walked away from faith pretty dramatically. My, my older daughter got up one day and said, I don't want anything to do with your God anymore. She was a teenager and I thought it's fallen apart. Everything has fallen apart. And I would get up in the morning and open my Bible thinking, I don't even know why I'm doing this. And some days, honestly, it felt like cardboard. And other days, it felt like life. And God spoke to me. And even though my circumstances didn't always change, my perspective changed. But I can't tell you that I would lie in bed just excited to jump out of bed and open the word because there were days I thought, why am I even doing this? But that honestly, that discipline of doing it, even whether I didn't want to, was what changed me because I think. Prayer is us talking to God and reading the Bible is God talking to us. And so just sitting there expecting God to talk to me changed me because he did talk to me. He talked to me through the Psalms. He talked to me through crazy, unexpected places where I would open the Bible and I would see that was exactly what I needed for that day. It is a a supernatural work of grace, I think, because I, I think about my own journey after the death of our son, Mark, and, you know, I was a Bible study teacher. I told women, you can trust the Lord. He'll turn your ashes into beauty and all of that. And now I'm thinking, I think I lied about all of that. Mm -hmm. There was one thing because of what had been uh, printed in my heart and my head since I was a little girl that uh, God's word never changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you're going through a loss like that, you realize there's nothing safe there. There's, you could lose, what's the next phone call going to be? You know, when will the next shoe drop? And so you li- live in a, a spirit of fear uh, for a while. But I, I thought, okay, the only unchanging thing that I know is God's word. And so I knew that was my only hope. And I, sometimes I felt like I was hooked up to it, like, uh, like an intravenous um, bag was pouring his truth into me. And even though it didn't heal me, right away, that it was building up that healing that needed to happen. And like you, I would get up in the morning and I would pray. I would write in my journal. I would write out all my thoughts about how I was so unhappy and I was disappointed with the Lord. And I felt like, you know, where was he? I don't know him. And then I would read scripture. And like you, sometimes it was like cardboard. It didn't mean much to me. 
But then other times it would just jump out. God's word would just jump out and it would be exactly what I needed. It was amazing. Uh, Sometimes I would write out my feelings in my journal and then I would read my utmost for his highest or streams in the desert. And what was written there, it was almost like word for word responding to what I had written in my journal. You know, not every day, but enough to know that God was sending me treasures to that only he could know that were going to do a work in my heart. And those little morsels kept me. Um, It's life-giving. The word is so life-giving. And I love hearing how you have experienced the same thing. I want to remind everyone I'm talking to Benita Rendell Reisner, and she has written a book called The Scars That Have Shaped Me. And we don't have time, unfortunately, to unpack all of it. But the great thing about writing a book is that you can refer people to the book. And I'm hoping that our conversation is like salty peanuts for you. You've heard Benita's story. You haven't heard all of it, but you have to be curious about how did her scars shape her? How did God meet her in suffering? And because he will do the same for you. If you're struggling, he will do exactly the same for you. And we have Benita ahead of us in the journey and she's calling back and she's saying, my God is sovereign. You can trust him. He's been faithful to me and he will be faithful to you as well when you know Jesus. So Benita, as we wrap up our time together, would you talk to that person who is struggling right now? Maybe they just got more bad news. Maybe they have never experienced bad news and they're they're shocked by it because they've been walking with the Lord. They've been obedient. They serve him. Or it could be someone who doesn't even know Jesus that is listening and is just desperate for help. Would you speak to that person and offer some encouragement about trusting the Lord in the darkness? The first thing I'd say is if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus in suffering because I honestly don't know how in the world I would have made it without the Lord. He, even in the darkest places, was there with me. God will never leave you. He will walk beside you. Whether you sense his presence or not, he is there. And it's a huge gift and an amazing gift to sense that God is with you. But when you know Christ, you are assured that he is with you and you will never walk through anything alone. And I think that was my greatest comfort is when you know the Lord, then in this life or the next, you'll never be without him. You'll never be without his strength, his love, his power, his grace. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, and if you do know Jesus, that God is with you. He's in this, and he will redeem this in ways that one day you will be blown away by. And I was reading yesterday in my Bible reading plan, and I just love this passage that I'd love to read to people because this is out of Psalms. But this is the gospel. It says out of Psalm 66, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden out on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. God lets us go through all of those things. He's testing our faith. He's using it. He's using it in other people's lives. As Sharon said, the church, he uses it in the church. But ultimately, he will bring us to a place of abundance. This life or the next. 
we will be in a place of abundance. We can count on that. And that's what makes all of this suffering worthwhile because this isn't the end of the story. If you are resonating with what Benita is saying, as in you hear her and you want what she has, but maybe you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you have never met him. You don't understand what she's talking about. You could be, have gone to church all your life and you still don't know. I would love for you to contact us at markinc.org. We would love to share the gospel with you. We would love to show you how you can know Jesus and have the assurance of his presence in your daily life and his presence in your suffering. I'm so grateful for the testimony of Vanitha. She's so passionate about sharing the gospel because of how God has equipped her to walk this pathway on which he has placed her and how he is redeeming her pain by sharing her story and encouraging others. Vanitha, as we close, you are writing another book. You have another book coming out. Why don't you tell us about that? And also tell our listeners how they can contact you. Well, I have another book. It's a memoir. Um, So the scars that have shaped me is more devotional. It tells my story, but it tells about what God taught me in it. And this book is just a memoir. And I thread through it all the things that we talked about, all of the hard things in my life, as well as the ways that God has met me through scripture, through lament. And it starts with the death of our son, but goes all the way through my entire life, flashing back to my my childhood to today and the struggles that I have. And it was a really neat project for me to work on. I'm praying the Lord uses it. And you can find me anytime if you want to email me or talk to me at um, vanitha.com. And I have a lot of my articles that I've written. Yeah, Vanita has a blog and you can subscribe to the blog and see what other resources she has to offer. She shares so transparently and she's always turning us back to Jesus. And so I'm so, so happy to be able to introduce her to those of you who have never met her. We're going to include her contact information, her website, uh, links to her book on our website, on the program notes. So if you're driving and listening to this, never fear, just go to markinc.org and search for Vanitha and uh, you'll find all the information that you need. You have been listening to a podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm Sharon Betters, and this is one of my most favorite parts of my job is to get to talk to people like Benitha. You can find hundreds of free resources on our website at markinc.org and each one is designed to offer help and hope especially to hurting people we have lots of stories like Benita's. we have a daily devotional that is um, email or a podcast we have lots of videos that answer tough questions about suffering our heart is to offer you the help and hope that only jesus can give So go to markinc.org and you'll find lots more resources like that. The other thing is I would love for you to share Vanita's story with others. If you have been encouraged, we hear from people all the time who say, I'm not suffering like the person you're talking to, but I believe that God will meet me in my suffering the way that he has met that person. And that encourages me and equips me for whatever is to come. So pass it on. It doesn't have to be to somebody who's suffering. Just pass on this wonderful story of God's grace. And I know that the Lord is going to use it in mighty, mighty ways. Again, I'm Sharon Batters, and you have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Marking Ministries. Thank you. And remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him.